Hi everyone, Drew Prode here, host of the Broken Brain Podcast. Today is Big Idea Tuesday where I come to you with a thought, a distinction, an idea that's radically changed my life for the better. Today we're talking three big reasons, three big reasons why you're so hard, not just you, me, all of us, why you're so hard on yourself and how to use awareness to stop. I want to start off with a quote. This is from a gentleman named B.J. Fogg from the Behavior Design Lab at Stanford University. We hope to have him on the podcast soon. He has a new book out called Tiny Habits. And B.J. Fogg spends all of his time researching and understanding why is it that we have a goal, we have a new habit that we want to bring into our life, saving money, writing more regularly, sharing our content on social media, working on our new business idea, coming up with something. Why is it that we have a goal of something that we want to do and we can't make it a habit, a regular thing that happens in our life so we can give it love and attention? Why and what prevents us from doing that? Well, interestingly enough, there's a lot of layers to it and we'll discuss it with BJ in an interview, but one of the most common things that BJ refers to is people being self Critical, hyper self-critical, hyper self-judgment, being extremely hard on themselves is one of the main reasons why they can't make progress with the habits that they want to incorporate in their life. In fact, I pulled this quote, I'll paraphrase here. It's a quote from BJ from Twitter. And uh, he says, I've scanned thousands, thousands of responses from people who want to change their lives. What's my surprising conclusion? People are so critical of themselves. There's a little bit more to the quote, but that's the important part for this podcast over here. I want to talk about self-criticism, being hard on yourself, and why it prevents us from the things that we actually want to do. You know, some people feel that self-criticism is actually, and being hard on themselves is a tool. They feel like it's one of their superpowers. They feel that being hard on themselves is how they got to where they are. And you know what? That actually could be true. I'm sure there have been. In fact, I know there have been times in my life where I've been intentionally hard on myself because I didn't know what else to do. And I thought that was a way to break an old pattern or to let go an old pattern by basically beating myself into the ground and reminding myself that I was either worthless or I need to do better or whatever version of the thoughts and the conversations that are in the self-narrative. If you can relate, Well, first of all, I'm sure you can relate. Most of us have gone through this. And the truth is a lot deeper because even though sometimes we think that being hard on ourselves actually helps us get to where we want to be, it actually has a lot of unintended consequences. Not to mention, just because you achieve something, let's say you're hard on yourself, so you end up losing weight if that's one of your goals, to lose physical weight on your body and you do it by being hard on yourselves, well, does that last is the question. Or more importantly, does it actually genuinely make you content? Does it fill you with joy? You could actually achieve something in your life and not actually be any happier. And that's why it's so important to look into this topic of why we're being so hard on ourselves and see if there's some other way or other mechanism that can help us let go of behaviors maybe that we want to let go of. 
There's nothing wrong with wanting to improve different areas of your life. This isn't about being an eternal delusional optimist who says everything is fine, everything is okay, I don't need to change anything. So the first thing is this, if you hear this podcast and you're like, oh boy, another round of uh, spiritual bypassing or whatever it's referred to today, um, you know, we need to give ourselves honesty. We need to give ourselves the truth. We should be higher on self. No, what I'm talking about is this. I'm talking about we don't need super hyper criticism. We don't need to be overly hard on ourselves. I don't even need, I don't even know if we need to be hard on ourselves. I don't I actually don't even know if that, that basic idea gives us anything. And there's a lot of other ways to achieve what we want to achieve. But at the same time too, it's okay to be honest with ourselves. It's okay to be real. It's okay to look at the truth of the situation and say, you know what? I'm working on this business. It's not going really well. I got to do something else or I got to pivot in some sort of way. You know what? My grades aren't that great and people around me are not that happy. I got to do something about it. It's okay to be honest and to see the world as it truly is. In fact, there's this little thing that I posted on Instagram earlier today. It's from a dear friend of mine, Basam Tarazi, who's going to be on the podcast soon. He has a, a matrix that breaks down. I'll link to it in the show notes if you want to watch it. He has a, uh, if you want to view it. He has a matrix that he breaks down where he says, okay, here's four types of personas. And let's say that they all encounter the same fact. And the fact is they didn't get the job they wanted, right? So the first persona is a pessimist. The second one is a realist. The second one is a delusional optimist. And the last one is a realistic optimist. And so he breaks down and he says, uh, a delusional optimist will say, I didn't get a job because it wasn't meant to be. And their action is, I'll just put positive vibes into the world and wait for a new opportunity to come and fall on my lap. That's not what we want. That's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about here is we're talking about being a realistic optimist. A realistic optimist doesn't get the job. There's probably a lot of reasons why is their reasoning for it. And then they go into I'm going to seek feedback and figure out where I can improve and keep banging at that drum to find the job that I want. In no way did he say that being hard on ourselves was part of that process. We can see life truly as it is, see that something isn't working out, see that we want to improve on something and not need to be hard on ourselves. It's possible. We're going to get into that in a second. So the first thing is this. Anybody who's been consistently hard on themselves understands that it doesn't feel good. And I'm here to share that there actually is an impact of a lot of hard talk, self-criticism, and that narrative that happens in our head. So what happens when you, what happens when you're regularly hard on yourself? Well, I'll tell you a few things that are on my list. I'm not as excited about the future. I'm less likely to try new things. I'm not as motivated to keep going. And probably the biggest is all, biggest of all, I'm more filled with doubt. Now I can use being hard on myself and I still get caught in my own patterns, which is why I talk about this stuff. I need the reminder just as much as anybody else, but those patterns become less and less powerful the more that I practice this. And that's my hope for you in sharing this podcast. When I'm regularly filled with self-doubt because I've been hard on myself, I know that I can use being hard on myself as a temporary mechanism to get myself going. But even if I overcome the immediate thing that I'm working on, whatever that topic may be, that doubt 
ends up following me along the way just because we can accomplish something because we're hard on ourselves doesn't mean that that thing doesn't have intended unintended consequences in fact the research supports this so here's the first big idea that i want to share being self-critical or and and or hard on yourself has consequences. This is from an article you can find in the show notes from Current Psychiatry, December 2016, but it could not be more relevant today. So I quote from the article, self-critical individuals experience feelings of unworthiness, inferiority, failure, and guilt. They engage in constant and harsh self-scrutiny and evaluation. And their fear of being disapproved and criticized and losing the approval and acceptance of others continues to persist. It continues on. Self-criticism. This is, uh, they were looking at individuals that were hypercritical and extremely hard on themselves who were on the spectrum of either depressive or having much, much deeper challenges of anxiety, other things are there. And so they're showing in this article, how do these people respond to treatment? Well, I'll quote from the article, self-criticism and response to treatment. In the National Institute of Mental Health and Treatment of Depression Collaborative Research Program, 15 self-critical perfectionisms predicted a poor outcome across all four treatments. And the four treatments that they were trying on people were CBT, Cognitive Behavioral Therapy, Interpersonal Psychotherapy, IPT, uh, Pharmacology Therapy, plus clinical management, and placebo plus clinical management. So those were the four different types of therapies they were bringing in to help people who had different issues, but were in this category of being hypercritical and hyper hard on themselves. Subsequent studies found that self-criticism predicted poorer responses to cognitive behavioral therapy and IBT. IPT, sorry, my apologies, which is pharmacology, taking prescription medications. So both in the cases of cognitive behavioral therapy and pharmacology drugs, the individuals who were in the category of self-criticism, highly critical of themselves, had a worse response to these treatments. It concludes and it says, the author suggests that self-criticism could interfere with treatment because self-critical patients might have difficulty developing a strong therapeutic alliance. They don't trust themselves. They're not going to trust somebody else to help them through, which by the way, the more critical you are of yourself, the more critical you are of others and back and forth, the more critical you are of others, the more critical you are of yourself. So Here's the next thing that's worth discussing before we talk about what to do about all this, how to actually catch ourselves and stop being so hard on ourselves. So the first thing, the next big idea, big idea number two that I want to talk about here is that a lot of the self-critical thoughts we have are not our own. I want to say that again for everybody who's listening. A lot of, in fact, maybe all of them, depending on the categorization of this, which we'll get into in a second, most of the self-critical thoughts we have are not our own. We know that we have in our brain, this lizard brain, the amygdala, this old part of our brain that you've heard many people, many guests on my podcast talk about, experts and researchers, 
And some scientists feel that this is where maybe our ego lies. This lizard brain of ours, which is primarily um, looking for things that are wrong. The highly critical portion of our brain. We know that there's this ancient part of our brain. We also know that in addition to this wiring that's in our genetics and our evolution and in our brain, we know that studies have shown that much of the self-criticism and people being overly hard on themselves actually comes from how they were raised. Now, before we continue further, this isn't a podcast to put blame on our parents, that everything came from our parents. I had great parents and I was raised amazingly and I still had doubt and self-criticisms and other stuff. It could be from society. It could be from a parent-like figure. It could be from your peer group. When we're young, a lot of the research that's out there about our subconscious shows that a lot of our imprint around doubt and fear and worry happens before the age of seven. Many of you have heard me talk about the Landmark Forum, which is a course that I did many years ago, Landmark Education. And that's primarily what they teach, is they help you understand the early patterns that happened in, in childhood behavior that led to some of the insecurities you have as adults. Well, it turns out, whether it's from society or our parents or anything else that's out there that left or partially left that imprint on us, it, sh- it turns out that evidence does support it. So I'm going to go back to that article that I was quoting from Current Psychiatry, December 2016, on the topic of where does it come from? Where does hypercriticalness, <laughs> where does our us being overly hard on ourselves come from? And I'll quote from the article, studies have explored the impact of early relationship with parents and development on self-criticism parental over-control and restrictiveness and lack of warmth, feeling safe, seen, secure, and soothed, as Dina, one of our past podcast guests, has talked about. Parental over-control and restrictiveness and lack of warmth, lack of having those things, consistently have been identified as parenting styles associated with the development of self-criticism in children. Now, self-criticism and being hard on yourself is a spectrum. Some people have it really intense to the degree that it actually might be beneficial for them to work with a practitioner on it. And some people are in the middle and some people have a light version of it. You got to figure out where you are. I'm probably somewhere towards the medium and lower end of it. And I've found that even for me, again, I've had amazing parents my childhood experiences and my early experiences around feeling left out or not good enough or this and believing that, which turned into different versions of insecurities that I uh, maintained as an adult and with you know not seeing the pattern of those insecurities had a massive impact on my self-critical thoughts and me being hard on myself until I saw them as a pattern, a pattern that was playing out in my life And I saw my self-criticism and me being hard on myself as something that I was trying to do to address those insecurities. And we're going to talk about that in a second. I might have lost you there, but hang tight, hang with me. One study, going back to the article, about where does self-criticism come from? One study found that self-criticism fully mediated the relationship between Childhood Verbal Abuse from Parents and Depression and Anxiety in Adulthood. 
Wow. People who have probably a high ACEs score, adverse childhood experiences, people who've had extremely abusive parents, verbally abusive, doesn't mean physically abusive, it could be physically abusive too, are more likely to be stuck in self-criticism, which means they're going to be hard on themselves. If you want to dig deeper into that topic, I did an episode with Dr. Dan Siegel about this topic. You can just search Broken Brain and Dr. Dan Siegel, and you can see what we did there. So to conclude here off the article, reports from parents on their current parenting styles are consistent with these studies. So even when those parents report themselves as being um, restrictive, not showing warmth to their kids, being overly controlling, uh, bossing the kids around, when the parents identify themselves as having that type of parenting, they are self-identifying themselves. Those kids show higher on the self-criticism spectrum. So all this to say, if our first big idea was being self-critical and hard on yourself has consequences, which is important because there's a whole group of people that think that, oh, the only way I get stuff done, I was about to say shit, so I'll just say shit. The only way I get shit done is if I'm hard on myself. Well, that might be true, but what are the consequences of being hard on yourself? As we saw from the article, there can be a whole host of things that are there. We can be more anxious. We can have more feelings of unworthiness. Even if we end up getting done the thing that we wanted to do, that energy still gets carried forward in the future. So the first big idea was being self-critical or hard on yourself has consequences, which is so key again for anybody who thinks that being hard on themselves is the only way to get things done. The second big idea, a lot of the self-critical thoughts we have are not our own, whether it's the ego, the lizard brain, or whether it's inherited from society or imprinted on us as a child from parenting or other stuff. Again, we're not about blaming on your parents, but it could come from that if you've had a very challenging parenting, uh, par uh, parenting, if you've had very challenging parents or a very challenging environment, or you had a parent-like figure in your life that didn't believe in you and didn't self teach you how to self-soothe and wasn't there for you and showed you that warmth that you needed. So that brings us to big idea number three. So now what? So big idea number three is something that I've shared before on the podcast, but I come to it time and time again. And big idea number three, I'm going to set it up by sharing a phrase that I've shared on the podcast before. There's a reason we keep our patterns alive. Think of being hard on yourself as a pattern. If you regularly do it and you don't want to do it because it's not serving you or you're becoming clearer on the fact that it's not serving you, so you want to stop it, but you don't know how, that's a pattern. So any pattern that continues in our life, even if it's not serving us, there's a reason we keep it alive. We're, there's a reason we keep every pattern alive, even if we perceive it as bad. There's always something in it for us. Here's another quote that I'll share with you. You're always winning at the game you're playing. So if one of your games is to be hard on yourself, it's a game because we know it doesn't work. It's a game that we're playing, but the question is why? Well, 
If we go back to the first statement, there's a reason we keep our patterns alive. There's always something in it for us. That sets us up for big idea number three, which is what's in it for us? What do you get? What do you and I get when we continue to keep being hard on ourselves? Now, I'm going to pause for a second here. I'm going to have you really think about this. When you are consistently hard on yourself, what do you get? What do you get in return? You got to get something. There's something in it for us. Otherwise, why would we keep that behavior alive? Yes, we might have our judgments on that behavior, that long-term it's not the best thing for us or that there's a whole bunch of consequences that are there. But if we don't think that there's something in it for us, then the question is, why would we continue to do it? There's always something in it for us. Even think of extreme addictive behaviors to drugs or alcohol. Even if somebody intellectually gets that these things are not good for them, there's something that they're getting returned. And obviously addiction, we've done a really good uh, episode on addiction with Dr. John Kelly from Mass uh, General. Um, Addiction is so complicated. And by no means am I saying that uh, just by simply identifying what you're getting in return, you're able to break an addiction. There's a psychological, a chemical component to it, a biological component into it. But there's always a reason we keep our patterns alive. There's something we get. So even if we know that something is destructive for us, there's something that we're getting in return. The challenge with being hard on ourselves is that it's hard to actually stop doing it because we don't. We don't often know what we're getting in return. So what's an example? I want to read you something that I wrote a while ago on the topic of being hard on ourselves. It's a little essay. Last week, I caught myself making things harder than they needed to be. I used to do this all the time. Now I do it less. But it still happens every so often. This made me think, no matter how destructive our patterns are, there's one thing worth remembering. There's a reason we keep our patterns alive. There's always something in it for us. So what's in it for me, you say? What do I get when I make things harder than they need to be? And I was talking about specifically in the context of business, but we could apply this to all aspects of our life. Well, in this particular case, I get to feel stuck. And this is whether it's me making things harder or whether it's me being hard on myself, what do I get in return? Well, sometimes I get to feel stuck. I get to feel like I'm not making any progress. I'm just stuck. Why do I even try anyway? Especially if it's something that's actually difficult to do. Sometimes I get to feel overwhelmed. I get to feel overwhelmed. Why would that be something that I get? We'll get to that in a second. I get to feel unsupported. And most of all, I get to keep playing small. I get all the proof my ego needs to remind myself why I'm not good enough. And this is important here, how I should have never tried in the first place. At the root of every destructive pattern is an insecurity that is hungry for drama. Catch the insecurity trying to run the show and the pattern loses its power. I'm going to repeat that again one more time. At the root of every destructive pattern is an insecurity that is hungry for drama. 
catch the insecurity trying to run the show and the pattern loses its power. No matter how destructive our patterns are, there's a reason we keep them alive. There's always something in it for us. When I get to feel those things, I get to feel stuck, I get to feel overwhelmed, I get to feel unsupported. By the way, I'm not reading my essay anymore, I'm just riffing. When I feel those things, when I feel stuck, when I feel unsupported, when I feel overwhelmed, they're reminders that go back to this insecurity that maybe I'm not good enough. Maybe I'm not good enough in my relationship, in my business, in this area, in that area. We all have this. We all have these different insecurities that are running the show in the background. We all have some version of that. And when we're hard on ourselves, that is our ego's way. Even if we're trying to make progress on something that we care about, this is one way that our ego reminds us that we're not enough. We're not smart enough. We're not pretty enough. We're not dedicated enough. We're not hardworking enough. We don't have the right background. We don't have the right traits. We don't have the right quality. At the end of the day, anytime you are unnecessarily hard on yourself, you can be necessarily hard on yourself. Necessarily hard on yourself would be a challenge. That's a lot more practical. You're like, you know what? I want to try to climb that hill. I know it's going to be tough, but I'm going to push myself. Great. That's necessarily hard on yourself. And that's a beautiful thing. You can challenge yourself. You can push yourself. We've talked about past pad <laughs> tongue tied over here in past podcast. We've talked about how uh, short concentrated doses of stress can actually be a good thing. They can be a great thing for you. Not chronic stress, but short doses of stress. So short doses of pushing ourselves in exercise in cold therapy, in heat, in, in different things like that that we've talked about on the, on the past podcast, that could be a good example of how being necessarily hard on yourself is a good thing. Unnecessarily hard is when you beat yourself up. You judge yourself about something that's not actually serving you. It's not making you better. It's not helping anything, especially in the long term. And especially when it comes to the things that matter the most, joy, happiness, and contentment. Even if we can beat ourselves up into submission for the short term, it's not going to work in the long term. So anytime we're hard on ourselves, we're getting something in return. The question is what? You have to figure that out for yourself. When you're unnecessarily hard on yourself, what are you getting in return? Guaranteed, you're going to find that there's some story, there's some narrative that's out there that being hard on yourself can reinforce. In my case, in that example, I wrote, I get all the proof my ego needs to remind myself why I'm not good enough and how I should have never tried in the first place. You know, the power of this is this takes us into the last point here, which is the Second part of this podcast, we said three big reasons why you're so hard on yourself and how to use awareness to stop. When we catch our mind playing a game, that is awareness. Awareness is imagine you are a little mouse in a puzzle and you're running through this maze and you can't break free. You can't break your pattern. You can't break free. And you're running and you're going one way and another way and another way and you hit a dead end and you hit another dead end and you hit another dead end. And you're trying to break out. Awareness is when, imagine if you could hop in a drone or a plane 
and you can go 30,000 feet up in the sky and you can see the entire puzzle and you can see this is a game. When you're the little mouse that's in it, you can't see any of that. So awareness is rising above and seeing ourselves from 30, 40,000 feet above like we're in an airplane or a drone and seeing that this whole thing is a game and more importantly, we can actually give ourselves some guidance on how to get to our true destination without running in circles or hitting dead end, dead ends. So how do we stop? It's the hardest answer. It's the simplest answer. It's awareness. Awareness is the tool that gives us the perspective to catch ourselves playing the game. It's actually that. It's actually that we want to catch ourselves playing a game. Remember, you're always winning at the game you're playing. So if we're regularly hard on yourself, it's because we're playing a game and we're winning it. Why? Because we get to reinforce how we're not good enough or this enough or that enough or whatever enough and how we should have never tried. We should have been better. It was this person's fault. It was this. It's all that same story and all that same narrative. You're always winning at the game you're playing. So when we catch ourselves playing that game, we can break out of it because we can see that there's something in it for us return. We can see that we're getting something in return. What are we getting? We're getting to be even more critical of ourselves. We're getting to believe our ego. When we look at that, we can say, do we want that? Do I want that thing? If there's a reason I keep my patterns alive, do I want the reason now that I'm aware of it? And when you look at it from an objective matter and you bring awareness to it, you can say, no, you know what? I don't want to believe that I'm not good enough in this moment right now. I don't need that. I don't need to play that game anymore because I can see that it's just a game presence and awareness, which is bringing ourselves into the present moment and seeing how we're on this rat race that's never going to take us anywhere by being hard on ourselves is the primary tool. Ultimately, it's the only tool that makes a difference long-term. Everything else is secondary. Anybody who doesn't get that, if you want to listen more, we did a great podcast with Peter Crone, episode number 55, where he goes deep into that. One of our most popular episodes that are out there. You can definitely check it out. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't great tools that are there that can support us. And there's an individual, Dr. Kristen Neff. She's a PhD, associate professor of human development and culture, educational psychology department at University of Texas in Austin. She has this website called selfcompassion.org, self-compassion.org. And she has a whole plethora of TED Talks, tips, meditations, and other things to help us self step into self-compassion. Now, I love self-compassion. I love all these different tools like could be affirmations for some people, or it could be some of the other tools that are there, or it could be somebody actually using physical touch, like literally patting themselves on the back to give themselves compassion, say, you know what? Don't be so hard on yourself. I love all those things. Those things are tools in the toolbox. Ultimately, sometimes they work and sometimes they don't. It's better to have access to them because sometimes we do need to use them. And when combined with the deepest awareness, 
They can be things that can radically change our life for the better and forever. It doesn't mean that we still won't have those patterns. As I mentioned to you, I still do some of those patterns, but you know what? Back in my early 20s, when I'd be so hard on myself for so many different things, and it would take me like weeks, sometimes months to break a funk. Now, because of these tools and understanding the game and bringing awareness to it and practicing it, maybe if I'm lucky, a couple hours go by. At the most, a half a day. And then I snap out of it. I see the game that I'm playing. I see what I'm getting in return. I say, I don't want that thing anymore. And instead, I let it all go because I see it's not supporting me. It's a story. It's a narrative. It's fiction. This has been Big Idea Tuesday. Three big reasons why you're so hard on yourself and me too and how to use awareness to stop it. I want to hear from you. How are you hauling yourself? And did you get any aha moments from this podcast? You can shoot me a text, 302-335-6565. If you don't want to shoot me a text and you enjoyed this episode, please share it with someone, someone who could enjoy hearing it, and this podcast would make their day. I'm sending you a big hug. And I'm asking you on behalf of me, if you want to do it for you, do it for me. Please be gentle, kind, caring to yourself. The world needs you.